Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast for another week of extraordinary reviews on the world of cycling. My name is Christophe Mallet and I'm your host. Let me remind you that you can download or stream this podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash central. Or you can, of course, find it on our website, sbs.com.au slash central, or hit our special friends at Zwift. This week, for you, we have this. The six-year project, Chris Froome has finally achieved the goal. He wins ahead of Vincenzo Nibali, and it's Ilnar Zakarin for the first time in his career up onto the podium with third. We will be talking about the Vuelta, of course, and we'll be talking about the World Championship with former World Champion Brady Hodonol. But that's coming up in the second part of this podcast. And uh, joining me in the podcast this week is the usual crew, Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Hello. It's good to have you back here. Thank you. And Pat, of course. You're yes, here. back again and looking forward to what should be a lively pod. It should certainly be a lively pod. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Vuelta. Let's wrap up the Vuelta. One winner, three jerseys, Christopher Froome. Amazing. Amazing is one word. Incredible is another. <laughs> Fantastic. All the words that uh, describe an, an unbelievable achievement. Um, I must admit, I had my fingers crossed that he wouldn't do it because it just seems like something that was unachievable. But now he's done it, I suppose. Uh, it opens the gate for others to try and do the same. What, what's your take on, Sophie, uh, after everything that has been said and has been done on this, uh, on this Vuelta? Uh, from is the winner. Well, it's six years in the making, as he said, and, and we touched on it in the last podcast. I think the biggest takeaway from me, uh, or for me, I should say, is the impact Sky has had on this World Tour peloton. I spoke to some of the riders after the World Tour finished uh, the other day and asked them, what's the impression of Sky within the peloton? Like, outside, there's a lot of speculation. It looks like people are just riding for podium places or second place or third place. And a lot of the people I spoke with came back with something along the lines of they're close to unbeatable. They're hiring the best riders, so buying the competition, something Dave Brailsford earlier this year disagreed with, but they've got the budget to. They're able to willingly get these guys to back one leader and it's going to be really interesting going forward if you've got people in the peloton saying this team is unbeatable. It's going to be interesting to see how long this reign with Chris Froome goes on for. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to bank on uh, the fact that you've, you had an interview with uh, Kunde Kort, mm. uh, which is available on our website, uh, full interview available. We'll play a couple of grabs in, in this podcast this week. He mentioned that, yes, they are unbeatable. He also mentioned, in fact, we already spoke about it before, uh, they've picked up the best upcoming riders as well. How depressing is that for the world of cycling? Is that depressing or not? I don't think it's depressing. It just uh, changes the goalpost <laughs> a bit, doesn't it? People always say that, oh, it's like it gets boring and Sky races defensively and they do, but they also will rise to a challenge as well. We've seen the tour last year, I think it was, Froome made up time on rivals by going on an attack on a descent when 
he wouldn't normally do that. I think, and this is certainly, I think, Sky's take as well. It's up to the rest of the competition to go, okay, how do we how do we back that? And whether it's they look at what the team's doing behind the scenes with their marginal gains, which is a bit of a cliche now, or budget. There's a range of factors that I think that, that galvanise this team and make them what they are. But it's going to be very interesting to see where it all shifts into the, you know, the next, we've got the world's coming up, but then it's going to be, you know, five months basically until we see some real classics action again and then into the uh, tours again, the one-week tours before the, the Giro d'Italia next year. But definitely Chris Froome wasn't at his normal level Tour de France. Okay, yes, he was at another level at the Vuelta, um, but again, we saw cracks in, the, in, the, uh, in, in his masterpiece at times. Just the riders weren't capable of taking advantage. Remember that every rider that's sort of in that 10 to 25th position on the general classification is going to be a year more mature next year, and they're going to have a, a role to play in the races as well. So we're also seeing a shift of generation and a change in the uh, in the riders that we see, the characteristics, the motivations, the way they go after results. And I find that we're seeing more of that attacking style riders and sort of those Hail Mary moves being performed. Julien Alaphilippe, for example, is just a perfect example of one rider who, who loves to throw it all... Um, caution into the wind and I think that uh, it's difficult to assess where Sky will be over the next few years and also the riders that they have signed those young riders they're going to have to develop and by the time they are developed they'll be ready for contract renewal doesn't exactly mean they'll be at Team Sky oh yeah that's right uh, one surprise for me and I've been following this race for the first time actually I should say in, in its full uh, because it was on, on SBS um, end up the last day going hang on a minute Froome is in green as well. Trentin win, what, four, five stages? And he's not able to beat Froome on a green jersey. Well, the green jersey is effectively the most consistent rider in the peloton. If a sprinter doesn't win, I don't know if there are any sprint Important stages to remember in the, the world. green jersey is not a sprint jersey. It's, it's a, a points, points it's jersey. It's a points jersey. People get a little bit mixed up with that and want to call it the sprint jersey. It is the points jersey. So, um, and obviously It awards consistency. But also, was it a reflection that the route was actually very, very healing? Certainly. Trentin. Yep. But he still won the stages, though. Uh, Trentin's best win for mine was when he beat uh, Rojas uh-huh. uh, when the two of them survived after... A, the, the climb towards the finish. They caught on the descent, the wet descent, and then he made Rojas look uh, second rate, that's for sure. But Trentin was amazing. He takes a lot out of it, but uh, Froome was the most consistent. And as Sophie said, in the Vuelta this year, it was always going to be the most consistent rider, and many knew that there was very uh, few actual sprint stages, so the likelihood that a sprinter would get even close uh, is remarkable that Trentin was within two points. Absolutely. Uh, let's have a listen to Chris Froome straight after his, uh, his win in the Vuelta. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, yeah, I've been fighting for this victory now for, for six years and for three years I've been standing on the second step. So it's just amazing to stand on the top step this time. He's pretty happy. I mean, the further question I've got for Christopher Froome is where to from now? I mean, what more can he do next year? More of the same? I think he just looks to continue to galvanise his, his stronghold. People have asked him about the Giro. I don't think the Giro will be on his radar for a long time. I think So he's not year, going to try to do Giro Tour de France where this year is the first one from the modern era to have done Tour de no France. Way. I don't Vuelta. think so because no you've way. also got to consider it's not just him. They've got to find teams to support him in each one and Grand Tours are taxing. And I think this year uh, the World Tour peloton in general 
kind of decided that that Giro Tour double is impossible for now. Yeah. <laughs> you can't recover in time. I don't know why the Tour of Worlds there is. Years. Most importantly, remember that he hasn't won five Tour de France's yet. He wants to join that illustrious yeah. crew. Yeah. And if he does that, you know, a lot of people throw around legendary. Well, plain and simple. There's no questions. He will be legendary. Matt Keenan touched on the fact that what he has uh, done this year in the Tour de France Vuelta double in years to come, we'll look back and see this as one of the greatest sporting achievements of potentially all time. Add to that a fifth Tour de France in what is a growing uh, competition on the general classification. It, it will definitely put him on that uh, pedestal of being the greatest, if not, you know, with Eddie Merckx. So I believe that he deserves to be up there. Okay, world title is what he lacks, but uh, maybe he can get that this year. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about it a bit later on, but I think he's, he's going to be around actually. Um, maybe not for the road race, but definitely for the for the time trial. One legend to another. Listen to this. It's Alberto Contador. The Spanish public, they've supported him all the way. He's always been prepared to risk everything for the win. He is the ultimate racer, and today he goes out as the most popular man in the race. Okay, Contador, what a legendary send-off for a legendary moment in sport. I just wanted to ask Pat first if how devastated <laughs> you were that he didn't make that overall podium. I'm not oh, devastated. Yeah. 20, 20 seconds. So you were so, let, so let, let, confident. No, well, Still doesn't let it go. No, well, why do I need to let it go? Because he did everything that uh, I had said he'd done. You were saying he was going for stage victories only. He was going to give in. Everyone was stop trying. Well, the last four days of the Vuelta was action-packed. The best racing we potentially saw for the entire Grand Tour. And he won no, a stage and didn't get you know on what, podium. You know what? 20 seconds uh, shy, I'm pretty happy with that. And, and I think he was extremely happy to get the, the win on the toughest uh, finish. I think uh, actually Kino said this in the coverage that Contador has never been on the podium unless he's won the Grand Tour. Correct. He hasn't. On the Vuelta, he's never been. He's either won it or not been on the podium. That's yeah. correct. Yeah, he's, um, he's a phenomenal rider. We're going to really miss him. And I suppose the big question on everyone's lips is, uh, well, yeah, but he was suspended for a period of time for a doping um, issue. And uh, how does that sort of tarnish, tarnish his, his career? From my point of view, he did his time. Um, he, it wasn't a, a, a structured doping uh, pro program like what the Armstrong era was, which the Armstrong era makes me feel sick in my mouth um, even talking about it because it was such a structured and disgusting program. I don't attach that to Contador and I think that the other side of it that's that's interesting is that uh, Contador has always animated races and entertained the viewers at home so I wouldn't be surprised there's a lot of others that join me in thinking that he's been a glorious representative of cycling. He's entertained us so many nights, particularly those late ones where you probably mid to a yawning a little bit, wanting to go to sleep, and all of a sudden the, the Hail Mary <laughs> comes from Contador. So for Where mine, are you in my lounge? How do you know I was yawning? <laughs> so for mine, nah. Contador is a champion, and he deserves to be to be remembered that way. Okay, let's have a listen to uh, Kunde Kort on your interview, Sophie, because uh, he actually touches on it, about the, the, the legendary, and as, as this being tenting is uh, his legacy. I think he's definitely uh, a, a true champion of the sport, and uh, I mean... The, he has had a, a doping suspension and uh, he has tested positive. I mean, that's what, what to me still isn't 100% clear is that he really willingly took doping. I mean, it, it is a very, very small amount of, of, uh, of some sort. It's not like uh, 
He's been uh, convicted or whatever for for taking EPO or blood bags or anything like that. So in in my mind, he's definitely a, a big champion, and uh, yes, it is. This is really unfortunate for for his career that uh, they took away these Grand Tour victories for a, a tiny bit of amount of something strength that could have definitely been in in the meat that he ate. Um, that's as far as I understood, also been uh, said in when when the appeal was uh, was done. Um, so I am not um, I'm not exactly sure about all the ins and outs of uh, of the case, but I I definitely think that he's just a really big champion, and um, yeah, I have no no doubt that he is uh, he is raced uh, clean, and, and especially I mean now I've been coaching this year, I, I really have no reason to doubt any of his performances. So that was Kundekort. Sophie, uh, what's your reading on this? I think it's been really trying to look at this as a journalist and objectively considering everything. Pat touched on it before saying Alberto Contador. I love Contador. that we have a journalist the next Friday. That's, that's fine. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Go first. Um, he, you might regret saying that. Sorry. <laughs> Further down the line. Pat touched on it and said he's an entertainer. And I think it was really interesting. Like, obviously, he's racing on home roads, so there was going to be a lot of fanfare around him. But there was a bit of conjecture on social media as to how this guy should be remembered. Everyone, you, you know, there's photos. Kun had photos on Facebook Live and things like that where the team teammates are standing on the bus and it looks like they're at a rock concert. So there certainly there was a lot of love for him there. There was a lot of love for him on social media. I think there was one or two people that were like, why are we airbrushing history and forgetting that this guy has has served sanctions for, for doping? For me... I agree that he's entertaining. He's a character. I don't think, I think we've had a generational shift in the, in the world to a Peloton. And at the moment, there are no real characters, with the exception of maybe someone like Peter Sagan. Contador was one of those people that could entertain on the bike in the way he rode and how aggressive he was. But also off, you know, off the road in front of camera, he was as sort of jovial. People said move, he moved. You know, in the same sort of elk Peloton patrons like Boonan and Cancellara. For me, yes, I think you can look at his exploits and all those other things considered because being a champion bike rider isn't just the results. It's it's all those things. It's how you play the camera. It's how you engage with your fans. But for me, there's always going to be a but. Okay, we, we put uh, that question actually on Twitter uh, to you. The question was, uh, has the Contador's conviction tainted his legacy? Uh, 58% of people say yes, 21% say no, and actually 21% says it's actually more complex than this. I tend to agree that he has tainted because we cannot go back and erase history. He has served the uh, uh, the sentence, so so to speak. But the people are uh, commentating and say, well, what about Michael Rogers? Yeah, do, we, well, do we have double standards on us? Well, I don't because I think that Michael Rogers was um, cleared of his uh, doping, non-negative, if you like, um, and under right circumstances. Unfortunately for Contador, he didn't get that same treatment. And and the reason at that point of time, I reckon he was being headhunted before that uh, d- that positive test uh, occurred anyways. But he tried to push it through the process to appeal the decision. It didn't happen. But he did his time, and it wasn't uh, for a substance that was, you know, it wasn't because he was on EPO. And some people will say, well, it was a covering agent that showed up. But ultimately, I don't have double stands for either. And I think that, um, as I said earlier, the structured doping program by the Armstrong and U.S. Postal uh, Group that's the type of thing that you know you, you cannot forget. I don't forget the Contador has uh, had his time because if you dope, you dope, and that's the, the same thing. But he came back, he raced legitimate, and his results were credible from the point that he returned. But you can always argue, and if you made that point off record, that 
he was in the Discovery team at some point. He was in the Astana team at some point. That always will have a, a question mark on it. You could say that about the entire peloton that raced for that duration, though. I haven't got time to say this. <laughs> <laughs> Context comes we only into have it. Minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nationalism, I think, comes into it. And even fandom comes into it. Like, you can be more forgiving for someone. I'm talking from a fan perspective, not from a, a journalist perspective. But, but you can journalists are forgiving. That's what Sophie's saying. No, we're <laughs> cynical, horrendous people. Um, that's why we all drink. No. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think, yeah, if you're a fan of somebody or it's like in everyday life, if you like somebody, sometimes you can be more, yeah, those things do come into play. You can be more forgiving and it's probably not black and white as, as our poll would suggest. It's a personal thing. But for me... Depends on your definition of true sportsmanship. Mm-hmm. For me, like I said, there's always going to be. But as, as he, I've met Contador. He's a really nice guy. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's actually, great yeah, to interview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's not personal. It's just how you approach. I guess each individual approaches the sport. But can we say? And uh, we're going to finish on this. But can we say? post-conviction, post-sanctions, is done enough to reach redemption? I think if you combine your 21% that are in the grey area, because it is a grey area, I think a lot of your 58% that It's said, also people that haven't, op- that haven't got an opinion but that still want to say something. Yeah, 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 just want to tick the <laughs> box. Twitter after all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's how Brexit happened. Some of those 58% <laughs> may not be aware of the he, what he was positive for and the situation. I think if they did, then they may not have just directly said, yes, it has been tainted. Um, it's to- obviously been tainted tainted in some aspect but not enough to take him off the off the 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 right to be a champion in our sport for for time to come i think you just include it he's a champion but that's always going to be the second line when you talk about there's always a but okay we'll take a short break and when we come back we are not going to shy from the controversy of what is happening at the world championship and so on and so on with brady o'donnell you are listening to the zwift cycling central podcast don't you dare go anywhere so if you're into Zwift or even curious about it, check out Zwift Community Live on Facebook. Those guys, they're incredible. They live stream races, group rides, and commentate in real time across all the action. They also have previews for courses or grand fondos, e-fondos as it is on Zwift, that are super helpful so you can see what you'll be riding in full detail. Nathan Guira really brings all the action to life, and I've got to tell you, some of those live streams can be as exciting as real pro races. Check it out for yourself at Zwift Community Live on Facebook. Uh, welcome back to the Zwift Cycling Central uh, podcast for our look at the World Championship. And we are extremely happy to have uh, Bridie O'Donnell here in the studio. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. It's really good to have you uh, because you will be the voice of uh, most of the commentating around this World Championship in, uh, on SBS. It's great. I'm really looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's going to be a very exciting course, so I think it's going to make for great racing. Absolutely. So we are uh, been talking a lot about uh, a certain controversy coming up into this uh, World Championship. So at this time of recording in the podcast, and I, I want us to be factually right, what we know is that Chloe Hoskins and uh, Rachel Nyland, they have put an appeal. Okay, The SRP, the Selection Review Panel, has granted that appeal, that allowed that, this appeal. So what we have is a media release from Cycling Australia that is acknowledging this. What we will go with in this discussion is the facts. And the facts are, at the minute, Australia is sending a reduced team to the Women's World Championship. This is the fact that we are going with. I'd be interesting to have your take on, actually, what on earth is going on. I do find myself agreeing with some of the points that Jones made, particularly around not selecting a full team just for the sake of it. And unfortunately, historically, we have sent full teams and we haven't gotten results. I think that the interesting 
outlier in that, of course, is Nayland's silver medal in 2012. But interestingly, she actually had what she would regard as a pretty terrible season in 2012. She wasn't selected for the national team at the beginning of the year. Her and Lisa Jacobs were sent home after the first um, army selection camp process that the AIS had run, being told they were too old, not likely to be developmental. So she had a team that wasn't perfect for her. She didn't have a great season. And probably that gave her a little bit more autonomy as well. And then she was selected for the world's team um, for Limburg. And you would have to argue had her own fair share of good and bad luck in that race um, and then rode extraordinarily in the finale to get the silver medal. But that that result wouldn't really be attributed to the AIS and the national team program. So if we were if we were being harsh on Marv, which I think Jones is trying to be, um, he's taken a full complement every year and there's been no podium result other than this one aberration. That being said, I, I disagree with his comments about cycling not needing more, that more isn't better in a team. I think that's um, – most people would agree that's sort of uh, a bit of a flimsy argument. You know, him saying women should be able to get a bottle every lap or two bottles if they need it, that's not how it works. But I don't think he meant women in general. And I think that's <laughs> the big thing. It's, it seems like for mine – and I'm, a bit, I'm, I'm starting to get a bit over it actually. I think it's – Big oh, head sorry. hunting. No, big, no, I mean in the sense of Next. Simon Jones. Let's talk about something else. I, I feel like it's turned into a bit of a head hunting uh, extravaganza towards him. And look, he's been employed by Cycling Australia to fulfil a role. His role is to get Australia gold medals at the Olympic Games. He has to do what is needed for him to achieve that. If he needs to cut positions in certain places that he believes, cutting that out a little bit saves the dollars that will ha- aid. The, the, the chances of winning more gold medals at the Olympic Games, that's what he's been employed to do. Sh- that surely, is his actual job. That's actually cycling it's, Australia's agenda for the last 100 years. Because so, they don't have a budget at the moment. But how either, do you, do you know, so if that's so I, I disagree with you. Sorry, just interrupt, but we're not attacking Jones. He is the new well, guy on the street. Are, well, people are. Well, perhaps they are, but what I'm arguing is that if he's trying to steer the ship in a different direction, you're right, it's going to take time and we might need to change expectation. But I've been writing about this now for over five years, which is we're doing lots of things not right. We're not doing ideal preparation. We're not hiring ideal people. We're not selecting ideal people. And we're also struggling with the geographical barrier, which is the same for New Zealand, that girls are trying to peak in January, February, then they're trying to be good throughout the year and they're living away from home. We don't have the same circumstances as other countries. But trust me, when you tell people in the general public who are fans, hey, let's all back off on our expectations. Let's be like New Zealand. Let's just send a couple well, of girls yeah, and hope for a medal. To say that we're backing off expectations, just, really. We are because we've been a attendance country, mm. not a winning country. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree, and I think that the changes are being put in place. And I think he, that Simon Jones and Cycling Australia have been quite aggressive with the changing of uh, personnel. And the correct ways of By doing that. By moving Kevin so, Tabata to Orica. No, well, it's that not. That wasn't very aggressive. Well, it's not Simon Jones. He's made other moves as well. And he has put, as you said, pressure on Barras to get results at the World Championships with a limited group. Yes, it's a smaller group. But they have the, the riders that have the capabilities of achieving results. And that's the bit I don't understand. Everyone's upset there's less riders going to the World Championships. But the actual squad is a strong squad. There's nothing wrong with the squad. So how do you make, and I'll ask you, Sophie, on this, but what do you make of Chloe Oskin's uh, reaction, very public reaction? What do you make of this? I think she was, A, speaking maybe a little bit out of hurt because she hasn't been selected. She made some pretty big claims saying that Cycling Australia had put a gag order yep. on everyone. No one's talking, so that could be. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that that's could, what we that feel on media. Yeah. Uh, I've not spoken to any of the female athletes 
personally. I've spoken to Simon Jones. And I know there's a lot of people have come out of the woodwork and said it's sexist um, and it's particularly pointed at the women's team, which it's not. I think Simon has said next year you'll really see it at the Track World Championships. They're sending next to nobody. And he was really, when I was speaking to him, he was talking about performance in terms of budget almost. He's saying we're peaking at the wrong times. We're spending money putting people at these races or at these world championships and not getting results so let's not spend the money there and spend it somewhere closer and if you look at Brighty just said like we're, be- we're becoming an attendance country mm-hmm. in things like the you know the Olympic Games you look at Rio that was a disaster you, you can't yeah. sugarcoat it. it was a total disaster across the board and she's right and Australia traditionally has never been an attendance country, and we really don't have an excuse to be either. I like the point you made about the peaking at the wrong time. I think we've all noticed, particularly with the track, that we're very, very good at dominating medal halls the year after an Olympics when everyone in Britain is just eating cookies and, like, having a year <laughs> off and having babies. So that's that's all very good for us to feel good about morale or we go to com games and we, we do well at com games. But um, we, then, then we all find excuses for why we're not, and I agree with you about the women in Rio. And one of the things they said, I don't know if this was the, something the writer were encouraged to say was um, they were very tearful in their post-race interview is we're ranked fourth in the world and that made me feel even more frustrated as a a commentator I suppose of the sport where you think well then you're not demonstrating that today but also it's not a team sport it in that you don't go as a team to events so being ranked I think Australia is ranked well and Orica's ranked well thanks to Annemiek van Bluten and her performance is affecting the Orica team itself so I I think it's better for us to be a gold medal hunting country The challenge I find, and I disagree with you, Pat, that we can't not compare to the men's team because women's pathways are different. Oh, certainly. They have less opportunities. So why is Housler going? Well, that's a good question. That was a question I was going to ask. If if Cycling Australia would not have sent Housler in that team, do you think the rhetoric, the the speech would have been completely different? Yes. I do. I I think there are a lot of question marks around that. And I've always thought, and Pat, you can confirm this, but I feel like with pro men's cycling that it comes down to who wants to go. Who's got enough well, energy? Well, this year in, in particular, September. it has been, Brody. There's been a lack of riders that have put their hand up to go to the World Championships, and that has affected who was available because it just was. There was, I think, eleven or ten riders put their hands up, and one withdrew because of illness. Uh, left you with the riders that they took. Uh, Heinrich Hells has obviously got a job to do. Uh, what that is, well, that's up to Brad McGee to decide. I think it's unfair to say that I don't feel the the the, the loss to women's cycling in this particular moment. I think uh, you touched on Hosking. She had every right to appeal, and she appealed not for herself only. She appealed for women of Australia that, do, that participate in cycling, maybe not even just at the World Tour. She's really saying... We need a voice. Well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty vocal for women's cycling as well, and uh, you can follow me on the social media. You'll see that I'm 50-50 with men's coverage and women's coverage. What I will say, though, is that the big thing that came out of the recent uh, uh, releases in the media from Cycling Australia was that they're going to have more focus on domestic women's and men's cycling. Now, if anyone can tell me that that is a bad thing, well, then I'll, I'll surrender. I think... Where the development really loses out is at the grassroots level, particularly in women's cycling, more than the men's. But we are seeing a great rise in an NRS level of racing. Tactically, uh, physically, the performances are far better than ever before in the past, and their teams are racing better as a group. The development of those riders has transferred into great success towards the end of the Australian development team uh, travel this season. And I know that that team 
probably will not continue next year. But it's not to say that someone privately doesn't come on to support it after the fantastic growth. Regardless, I think we'll see tremendous movement over the next half a decade in developing better talent from our country and potentially a a lot more female professional cyclists. And I'm really happy about that. I'd be very happy about it too. I'm not sure if I agree on your idea that we've been able to transition those great performers in the NRS internationally. Women who've won the NRS historically, the only one who transitioned to a pro career has been Garfoot. And we can argue. Yeah, no, but but in terms of the actual peloton size this year, of course, we're seeing smaller groups. And in fact, it's really just Team Holden overseas. If only Holden had been able to facilitate them being having a pro conti license, they could have raced under their own banner rather than being. Oh, I think you underestimate what uh, the Tasmanian Institute of Sport is really doing it's got a fantastic program and it's sort of really set the tone for what should be the the level to be to be watched across the board um and i've viewed a lot of the national road series and i can say i'm extremely impressed with the level and that it can transfer particularly because the uh, average age group in the national road series for the women is quite low uh, it will transfer to to better professional cyclists in the future i think in general you need more pathways for women like in my opinion brady you're in a better position to answer this or go there but there's not been the same pathways for junior women, for you know, under 23 women, to branch through to Europe. Whereas there's there's clear stepping stones for men. The women sort of get to a point and then have to really jump in the deep end. So if not sending an extra three people to Worlds means that Cycling Australia goes, oh, we can put that into, a, you know, a new team and for racy, or then I'm all for that. But I think you also have to consider courses for World Championships and men and women I don't think race this they don't race the same way they don't have the same tactics they have different strengths so you might for the men's team you might need those extra people on the team but for where the women's race they might be anticipating something we're not and saying well actually maybe we can save that financially for other goals you know towards but surely we're not talking about next season. millions of dollars I mean, it's, it's one hotel room I'm yeah, actually, exactly. I'm actually saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know they, they, the, the they dollars need... can't be the issue because well, we, we're talking peanuts I can't be a hundred percent sure that they believe that it's about dollars. No, I, don't I think, think they believe they can succeed the same result they would with the riders they selected than adding two other riders. And John's and particu- putting his, his and, mark on as well. Yeah, and particularly Absolutely. if you add another two riders, you have more ownership of the race. You got to ride the front. There's all those things, and that's what they've actually done in the men's race because they've come out and said no plan B. Well, if you're a big team and you don't make the front move, you're going to say, well, how's plan B going? Get on the front. And they'll have to because they don't have a plan B, so to speak, unless it's hiring Hauser for the breakaway. <laughs> but I remind um, you, you've got Gilbert on the, yeah, on the podium. podium. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's not about money. Come on. The riders are in Europe. Um, yeah. And even um, and, uh, recently um, in, in Ardèche, uh, we've, we've seen an incredible performance by Lucy Kennedy, who outperformed Rachel Nail and much more experienced rider, well, she's got every right to be at the World Championships as much as what uh, Chloe well, that's Hosking how or, got selected in 212 yeah, was exactly Ardesh right. performances. So I agree with and you. And went on to finish in silver. Yeah. Um, this is the incredible thing that uh, Lucy Kennedy might be the one that really needed to go and not, you know, potentially Chloe Hosking. I think Sophie makes a great point about pathways and there's really only been a couple of women that have done well outside the system. Chloe went to um, Holland Ladies Racing, I think was the name of the Conti team she raced for. Tiff raced in the US and then for a few um, Euro teams that were good, but she had some troubling seasons. So we we see so many women that are fortunate enough to have Orica support both um, structurally and logistically, English-speaking staff. Um, We we all know it's hard racing against them in January and they're very defensive of, of the pressure that's placed on them. Elvin has been quite vocal about that. But it is so different for 
their experiences in Europe um, throughout a seven-month block than it is for Lauren Kitchen or for Carly Taylor and those sorts of writers that are struggling with language and logistics. So hopefully with more US teams and with better NRS, as you've described, Pat, we're going to see greater depth and quality of Australian women in Europe. How much are you looking forward to these two weeks you're going to do on SBS? Yeah, I'm really, really excited. And to be working with Matt and Dave, who are both so experienced, um, I'm going to learn a lot, but I also think it's just going to be fantastic to be able to contribute some elements and comments to the way the race unfolds and to have known, to know all those women and have raced against maybe half or 60% of them is, is a real privilege for me to commentate. Okay. Uh, we're just uh, going to close this podcast on getting tips. I mean, who's going to win? Men's women? Oh, Michael Matthews' favourite for the men's, and I'd love to see him win. Gilbert for the podium, of course. <laughs> uh, and for the women's, I think that it's a very good chance that Gracie Alvin can take the, the gold medal. Oh, I didn't. You're putting me on the spot, Sophie. You go first, and I'm going to think about it. <laughs> I'm going to say Peter Sagan for the men's road race, and I'm going to say Lizzie Diagnan for the women's race. Even though she's massive, been in hospital, had her appendix out. So that'd be a story. She's fresh, fresh well, as a bird. Oh. I'm going to say I don't want to rule out the TT. I think there's um, Anna Vanderbregen is you know absolutely put herself out there by focusing on the TT this year. She's it's the only race she hasn't won a world championship after winning Euro title and the um, Olympics obviously last year. So definitely putting my money on her. But I'm putting my money on Van Vleuten. Um, she's going to redeem herself after well, her exceptional she performance. Do the yeah, for sure. She could definitely do the double. Mm. Absolutely, and I'm going to sit on that nice. <laughs> Sophie likes me. Unbelievable. Does it drive her crazy? <laughs> Christoph, who are your tips for the World I'm going to go Sagan and Van Vluten. Yeah. You can't pick a... someone that's already been picked. Yes, oh, is that the rule? I just did. Watch me, I just did. I'm going to go Kwiatkowski. He's going to win again, actually. I've decided. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's had Ooh, such a great season. A good call. Okay, well, it's going to be great to have you uh, on SBS. He starts on the 16th, uh, Saturday the 16th with the Crocodile Trophy and uh, uh, the broadcast goes all the way to the 23rd of September. Thank you for popping in. Merci. Uh, thank you, Pat. And thank you, Sophie. Thank you. And this is it for this week's edition of the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Let me remind you that you can uh, download or stream this podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral from our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral or hit our lovely friends at Zwift. And one last time, for me this week I will say adios hasta luego and we we'll see you next week bye for now